You are listening to Future Voices, a podcast brought to you by Beha Futures Foundation. There is no peak that can't be conquered. Adventure and science are the two words how she likes to describe herself. She grew up on Grmec, a mountain in Bosnia and Herzegovina, where she fell in love with mountains and nature. She survived the Taliban attack, lost a loved one, saved the life of a rugby player, received significant honors in her career, spent three days in a Pakistani jail, and climbed numerous mountains around the world. Sounds like a Hollywood movie, right? Currently, she's working on a project integrating technology, such as VR, into educational ecosystems to help climate literacy. She's super enthusiastic about scientific expedition in extreme environments, educational technology, and data analysis. Meet Nina Ajanin, our guest today at Futures Voices, where we uncover the incredible life stories of Bosnia and Herzegovina's finest. Nina, I have to say it's an absolute honor to host you here on our podcast today. And I have to say, I knew a lot about you and your work before this chat today, but I was blown away. Your CV is absolutely mind-boggling. And to join us on this podcast, as always, the lovely co-host, Aida Hajic. She's actually joining us today from a mountain. So Aida, please say hello. Hi, everyone. I hope you're all well. And I thought since we are having a mountain lover, I thought, okay, I'm going to be on a mountain while podcasting her. <laughs> so talking about mountains, we've got a mountain of a story to climb here today. And I'm going to start with uh, your, your starting point of life, really. Nina, your story starts in Munich, Germany. So let's begin there. Tell us, tell us about Munich, Germany and why, I guess, besides the fact that you were born there, it's significant. Thank you so much, guys, for uh, this podcast. It's my honor. And yeah, whew, long ago, 38 years ago, Munich. Uh, my family, like most of families in that time in Yugoslavia, worked in Munich. So <laughs> I guess that I was a lucky uh, to be born there, but uh, unfortunately, I don't have a passport because after two years spending there, my father died, and it was too difficult for my mom to stay in Munich. So we back to Bosnia to my grandparents' house, and after that, start my story. Uh, I grew up on a mountain close to Bosanski Petrovac, Grmec. And my mom started to be addicted to alcohol, so my grandparents took care about me. Uh, so I was uh, 10 years when I moved to Serbia because of war, unfortunately. But still that love for mountains stay deep in my heart. So in Belgrade, I miss so much mountain. Oh, that was incredible. So many flat surfaces in Belgrade, not, not many mountains. Now, I heard that you had to walk uh, essentially 16 kilometers round trip when you lived uh, on the mountain in Grmec there to get to school. What was it like having to travel so much every day? And did that in particular inspire the adventure inside you? Yes, definitely. I remember myself. Uh, so school in Bosnski Petrovac was uh, about seven and a half kilometer away from our house. And our house, like I remember our restroom was uh, far from house and I was always scared to go outside. And every time when I walk to school, I was uh, thinking I'm a superhero and my mind, and I was uh, learning about uh, history, like in you know, a walking and yeah, it was amazing. I think that was the best part of my life. And when you are on a mountain, like it's so healthy, healthy food, healthy people, healthy mind. Yeah, it was amazing. I really miss even now when people say, oh, I'm so sorry about your life, about your mom, about everything. And I was like, why? My childhood was the best on this planet. I really enjoy every day. Yeah, I think we, we sometimes forget how important it is to enjoy and actually remember how much we enjoyed our childhood growing up in such an open environment. So I'm sure that uh, many people envy that these days because we grow up in these concrete jungles and we pursue these amazing careers, but we forget how important it is to be out in the open and just enjoy being a child. 
And uh, Aida Hajic here, she's on a mountain right now, and I'm sure she's got a question to ask you. Totally. First of all, how is it to be a scientist and to be uh, like affiliated to sports and climb all of those mountains? What actually motivates you every time to go higher and higher and climb all of those mountains? Tibet, Mont Blanc, uh, Mont Everest. It's like, tell us about that. How, how did you make it there? Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a good question, and it's hard to say a huge story in a short time, but let, let me try. So when, uh, when we moved to Belgrade, I missed so much mountain. And then I started to run for a local athletic club, Red Star, because I miss sport. I miss so much to be active. And also I started to play volleyball, but still I miss mountain. I miss, miss to see green forest. So I joined also to mountaineering club in Belgrade. And every weekend we go in some local hill, local mountain. And I, I started to study my undergrad sport management. And every weekend I spent in a mountain. That was incredible. So what I did, I studied, uh, wait for a weekend. And I was a poor, like, because my mom uh, gets sick. So I stayed to take care about her. Even I had a offer a scholarship from MIT uh, to study physics because I wanted desperately to be astronaut. When I walked as a kid to school in the Bosnsky Petrovac, and always I look sky up and I saw moon and I said, I want to go there. So that was my like wish, what I want to be when I grow up. And that that was my guy i want to go high i want to be close to stars so but i couldn't go to to the us in that moment so i stayed in belgrade my mom got parkinson sickness and her, her her sickness was worse and worse every year so she couldn't move and uh, she suffered from uh, depression uh, i guess because of alcohol i'm not sure but yeah, my escape from a, from a daily life was mountain. So that's where I feel so good. And slowly, when I go to one mountain, I see far away some higher mountain and I wanted to go there. And next weekend, hitchhike and my fingers up and I go higher and higher. And in one moment, someone asked me, so Nina, do you want to see Himalayas? And I said, yeah, but I'm a poor college student who take care about uh, mom. And they said, don't worry, we will find money for you, but you need to take care about people on a mountain. So that is how I start my journey to high mountains in Himalaya. How and where did that love for climbing and adventure actually start? I mean, at which point in your life did you decide, hey, I want to go and you know take care about extreme environments. I want to be climbing the highest peaks and I want to expose myself to that danger because let's let's be realistic. Um, you know we can be very brave, but climbing some of those peaks is very, very dangerous. So how do you build up the courage to actually go up and and climb some of these peaks that you've climbed? So for me, where that starts and where, where I pull decision, like I want to go more difficult, I want more higher to challenge myself. So every time when I climb, I challenge myself. And on the beginning, it was escape from reality. We will talk later about virtual reality. But in that moment, because uh, I struggle a lot with a family issue at my home and I was so stressed about my mom and how to help her. And when I go to mountain, I was with myself. That's me, like with the friends, I enjoy the nature. And somehow something happened on a Maglic, uh, the highest peak of Bosnia. And I was looking and I saw that steep vertical uh, stones. And I said, how is to go somewhere where is mountain double higher than this one? So that is like, I want to see, I want to challenge myself. Can I do, because whatever we do in a life, we do because of some purpose. We want to go beyond our borders because the only borders that we have are in our heads. 
that's only borders. There is no other. So that is, a, I said, okay, I am a college student. I have zero money in my pocket, but I want to do what I'm dreaming all my life. So, and yeah, if you want something, I'm 100% sure you can reach that goal, 100%. So I was uh, some way lucky to meet people who organize expedition to Himalayas and they recognize my potential, I guess. And yeah, I went to Himalayas. I didn't have even hundred euros or dollars in my pocket. All equipment, I know half of Sarajevo <laughs> borrowed me equipment from a jacket. I had the shoes from Croatia. And what is the most interesting, I never saw these people in my life. I was just on a social media and I said, guys, I need to go to Himalayas and I don't have any piece of equipment because equipment in that time, 15 years ago was so expensive and it was so difficult to find. So <laughs> I think entire Yugoslavia collect uh, equipment for me to borrow. And I was waiting, I think every second day in a bus station to <laughs> get my equipment. So that is how it starts. So you, could, you could say that you climbed on behalf of all of the people that uh, borrowed your equipment. So you weren't just climbing for yourself, you were climbing for everyone that was supporting you and helping you get there, which is uh, pretty amazing. That is for sure. But you also mentioned the fact that uh, all of our barriers, they're only in our heads, yet you were actually cautious. You were always looking after your well-being while doing all of this. And mountain climbing is not, it's not an easy sport. It's not just recreation. You know, it's sometimes dangerous. Tell us about the dangers and how mentally you were able to calculate the risks, when to know where to go far and what peak to reach and when to say, no, it's, it's enough. And how that actually influenced all of your life decisions and, when, and all of your career success. So the biggest dangers on a mountain, guess what? People. Because all other dangers you can predict. You can predict if it's bad weather, you are not going. If it's, uh, I don't know, snowing, you will stay in a tent, drink tea, wait good weather. But with the people, you don't know what is in the head. Like you don't know what, for example, first day on an Everest expedition in a tent, everyone happy, everyone nice. And you think they are like your families. 50 days of expedition on Everest, they are grumpy, they hate you, they, that is so weird. So mountain shows all faces of people, that is incredible. And like I said, people, that's the most dangerous. So what happened on my last high mountain expedition, 2013? So I was a part of international expedition in Pakistan, climbing Nanga Parbat and, night before to go higher, something happened. Group of people arrived to our tent and pull out half of my teammates and they killed. So people are the most dangerous, something that happened up there. Yeah, that, that happened uh, 22nd June, 2013, Taliban attacked on a base camp, Nanga Parbat expedition. I was a lucky, I was a lucky to survive because I was uh, 50 meters, uh, 50 meters from a base camp, hide with other half of team behind some rock. And yeah, they arrived. I don't know why, because we didn't have any in that moment who they were targeting, Americans, journalists. I don't know why they pull people, put on the knees, tight hands and shut one by one in the head. They stole all our money, passport equipment and they left. I was really lucky to survive. So yeah, that was my last expedition in the high mountain. And after that, I switched gear. So I decided to do sailing. I mean, such a tragic story, and I can't say I've lived through anything near as tragic as that, but how do you recover and how do you find courage to, to go on after that, you know, being, being so close to danger? Sometimes we're close to danger and we don't know that, but this time you, you saw, you know, you basically were part of that environment and you had people killed on site. How do you find the courage to go on after that? I mean, it's, it's such a big tragedy. 
Yeah, it's still sometimes I'm thinking about that why and I ask many questions to myself. But how I moved on is I was thinking, how can I help families who lost brothers, fathers, friends on that expedition? So all award what I got after that expedition for helping, I was trying to send to families for a funeral. Like I was really trying to think about how, because now we cannot return people who lost life, but maybe we can do something for uh, families. So that was my my light to think about and to move on. Like, don't just go down deep in depressed because I don't want to finish like my mom. I was thinking, okay, what I can do, what I can do to help, what I can uh, tell to society, what I can do for the future. So that was my guideline in a life to go over. And also many, not many, five years, actually four years before that, I lost uh, my boyfriend on a mountain. And that was also one, one moment when I was thinking I should quit with the mountaineering and with the climbing. So my boyfriend and best friend, they climb uh, in Chamonix and I decide, I don't know what happened. I decide that they not to climb with them. And next day we found them dead under the wall. So yeah, after that I was lost. I didn't know what to do. I just called my brother and I said, listen, I'm going to Himalaya with all money that I have and I want to spend some time there by myself. So I spent three months in a Buddhist monastery just learning about life. Because if I stay in a Yugoslavia or in a Bosnia, Serbia, Croatia, Slovenia, wherever, that society push you to be sad. But I don't want to be sad. I know I walked on the street in Belgrade and my friend just walked cross on the other side because didn't want to talk with me it was like too sad and I feel why why people are avoiding me what I did it's just I don't know how people behave when someone I, I don't know it's a nature so that is the reason why I went to monastery to learn about life like we shouldn't be sad we should appreciate life we should appreciate people friends everyone and like do what you can do in life so that was for me big and my one of the biggest school that I had in my life honestly was it really a school for you I kind of have a feeling like you already learned personally through all of your experience that that's what life is about and you spent time on Tibet with Buddhists how was that for you and how how do you live today, combining all of that East and West within you? So what I learned in a monastery is balance. So they said in a monastery, they go too spiritual. On the West is more about money. So if you find a balance between these two, you're, yeah, you're lucky. And that, that's what we are all want to do. And it's also good school to learn about the patient like patient is the key whatever we do and also be positive think positive if you call that positive energy that positive energy will come to you if you are negative and you think about everything on a negative way maybe you can attract that negative energy to yourself so that is why we need to go on so like even when you fall down you need to step up uh, clean your dust from a knee and let's move so no point to just go down because with all your like spiritual going down you'll pull other people but that's what we don't want that's the key so yeah it was I think everyone should go and find, you don't need to go to Buddhist monastery in Tibet to learn about life. It's not there. Like you can go even in a, like you now in a, on a closest mountain. And even, I know somewhere I read that the biggest philosophers of this world, they, they always go to the highest peak 
in a near to think about life, to think about uh, philosophy. So I think that's the key because from the top of mountain, you can see better everything. Like you can, so what I learned in the monastery now, you just remind me. So they said, if you have problem and it's in front of your face, you just see the problem. But if you look that problem from a distance, you will see solution around that problem. So that is like key how we should think about. And that is why maybe we like mountains to, to look and see solution, to see other stuff, not just main problem. Yeah, I think you get a really better perspective on the world, yourself and everything around us when you isolate yourself and you have an opportunity to think about without all those distractions around us, without other people influencing how we think, how we behave, how we live our lives. And we really have an opportunity to sort of uh, think, think about where we want to go, where we've been and so on, and really reflect on our life experiences. And often I also know from my first experience that I traveled the world quite a lot. I think I've been to over 120 countries around the world. And only when I started to travel and go to some really, really sort of uh, unique places, um, like, for example, China, where I got to realize, you know, there, there's so much that brings us together as human beings. We really have to go out and see before we realize what our real values are and how we can bring those together to achieve really big outcomes. So I find it very inspirational that despite all these setbacks that some people might call setbacks, you were able to channel that energy and pull out the best and really drive forward. And to touch back on what you said earlier on, that you had this dream of going to the United States and receiving this incredible education. You know, you, you, didn't, you didn't do that when you wanted to, but life is funny. Life sometimes throws you a curveball and you always come around and, you know, take the opportunity later on in life. And you managed to do that because let's fast forward a few years. You've gone through numerous tragedies you're sort of trying to find, find out who you are now with all this loss and pain that you've had. And then you end up going to the United States, uh, not to MIT, to Ohio University. And you end up studying a master's and uh, recently completing a PhD. And here starts the Nina Arjunin, you know, academic career. So let's dive into that one again, because I think it's very interesting what you're doing. But tell us, how did you make that journey from uh, wherever you were in the world to the U.S. and reliving that dream that you once had? So 2015, actually 16, um, my friends sent me an announcement about they are looking for a teaching assistant at Ohio University for outdoor and recreation. And I was like, hmm, that's a good opportunity because I always wanted to back to academia because I like to teach, I like to share my experience because someone taught me so, and I learn a lot. So that's my duty to, to transfer that knowledge to someone else. So yeah, and I said, yep, let's try that. And how I came to the, the United States, so in the same way, like Columbus. So with a small sailboat, for uh, four weeks from uh, Gibraltar to Guadeloupe, we sailed across Atlantic. So, <laughs> so that is like also another journey in my life. Uh, it was really interesting. And I learned a lot, especially like when from high mountains, you go on the ocean and you are stuck because on a mountain, you always can go home if you decide. Because in my life, I, uh, I, it is really interesting and I wanted to share with you guys. I returned three times more from without summit in my pocket than with the reach the summit. So it's not always like I need to reach the summit, but yeah, you need to back because mountain will always be there and you can back because if I choose to go over that border, I will lose my life. So yeah, then cross Atlantic Ocean, came to Ohio, started to teach 2016 for two years. And 2018, my good friend from France, glaciologist Heidi Sylvestre, she invited me to join expedition to Antarctica, uh, sorry, Arctic in that time. And, and 
so she wanted to observe the uh, Calvin glaciers and she said you are a technology expert because uh, somehow I was interested in the technology and recording videos about the nature and she said oh maybe you can join us uh, to help me also because on the Arctic every three hours that was on a Svalbard expedition every three hours we needed to have a shift because of polar bears and she needs someone who is a tough for expedition and a cold environment so that's one of the reasons why she invited me also and I went there and I saw because in my mind Arctic and Antarctic is a fully ice and I saw and I said like where is the snow so there was a little bit snow and she said, yeah, the world is melting. And I said, really? So, and I was like, okay, how, how to tell people about this? How students can teach and learn about environment around the globe? Like how someone can learn about extreme environment without going there because not many people have opportunity to see that, especially in that area uh, because they want to protect, they don't like to see tourists. So we had uh, many scientific uh, permits to get there. And that in my mind was like, bam, I need to do something. How can I bring this environment to students without going there? Like, I want everyone to see that because it's amazing. And with the studying and learning about uh, this area, maybe we can find some solution with entire world. So then that was like big click for me where I decided to go for my PhD in instructional technology and a distance learning. So yeah, 2018, I started PhD and I finished my PhD with a dissertation attitude and intention of using virtual reality to learn about climate change and uh, an environment and it took me for uh, two years yeah I finished my dissertation in the two years and also one more master's about research and evaluation yeah it, it was tough climbing, honestly. I know in my acknowledgement, I put, this was a tough expedition. <laughs> yes, but this is actually where your whole life attitude has been influenced by your mountain uh, climbing. So you know when to retreat and when to go back and when to climb further. And not just that you saved your own life by not giving up having all having gone through all of those family troubles with your mother, losing your father and all of those things going on and fighting through throughout all of your life. You were also actually saving other people's lives. Tell us about that experience and how that took place. That's an amazing story. Okay, so 2012, uh, I decided to go to uh, to climb the highest peak of America, Denali on Alaska, Mount McKinley. So I joined one American expedition, but they quit pretty fast because I think for them it was too cold, uh, too cold and no cold beer and stuff like that. And I, I'm I'm from Balkan, like I don't want to quit and back easily if I still have energy and the weather is good especially it was expensive like no way I want to go there so when I arrived to to Alaska so it was it was different for me first touch with uh, the United States and I was a little bit scared and especially when you come from a Balkan you are always scared I don't know why before I know I was like on the border they always look at me and yeah I stay by myself alone on a mountain there were other people but uh, my team left and I didn't want so I started to climb alone and on the last camp before the summit, I set up my tent. Uh, I started to prepare some food, uh, melt water. And I started to hear, so outside was maybe two other tents. And I started to hear someone is coughing, <laughs> like, like not like Corona, but it's serious coughing. And I get out and I, and I saw someone in the snow, like covered with the snow 
sitting and it was so cold. It was like, um, I don't know, maybe minus 25 with, with chill, it's a more, more color. And I was like, are you okay? And he said, oh, my, uh, I'm okay. I just want to a little bit breathe. And I look at him and his eyes was so red. And I said like, oh man, this is high altitudes and you need to go down. So that was around 5,200 elevation. So you cannot stay too long on that elevation. And I said, man, you need to go down. This is not place to stay and enjoy outside. And he said, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I said, where is your tent? And he showed me finger on a tent uh, near. And I went in the tent, uh, open zip, and inside was a two guys sitting and they asked like, hey, what do you want? And I said, your friend is a sick, has a high altitude sickness and he will die if he stay this night. And they said, he can go down. They said, he can go down. And I said, he cannot go down alone. He's a sick. And they, they said, we uh, actually, they start to yelling on me. You know, I spent two years preparation on this expedition. I spent so much money. We don't want to go back down because of him. And I was like, what? And they said like, please close the zipper. And I just zipped back and I like, oh my gosh, Nina, what you will do? Because I know and I saw feeling when you lost, lose someone's life, that is you don't want it to happen to anyone. So I decided, okay, no pick for me life is more important so that was in my mind because even i was so close to the summit i was so close and i said uh, okay screw summit help this guy so what i did i put all my stuff in my backpack put him on the rope and start to pull him down for uh, i think eight hours i was pulling and it was on the way he was like thank you and in my mind was like i don't say thank you Ugh, i was so angry because i need to go down but still life is the most important and i didn't know even his name like i just want to go down to put him on a lower altitude where he's a ranger's tent so when we arrived in the ranger's tent after eight hours they called uh, emergency and on the lo lower uh, elevation he felt better and next day helicopter came pick him up and I don't know what happened in that moment and I asked uh, uh, rangers so what is the weather for tomorrow and they said tomorrow is good but then it will start store and and I asked do you have any food and they said yes we have some food I put that food in my backpack and straight from that camp to the summit of uh, Denali. On the way back, rangers stopped me and they uh, said, Nina, and I, like I said, I'm from Yugoslavia. I'm always scared of police and <laughs> everyone. And there you cannot use anywhere restroom. So you have one plastic bucket and you use that for uh, to that stuff. And I was scared they are, saw me that I went to restroom on somewhere else and I showed them bucket. No, everything is here. I promise everything is here. And they said, show me thumbs uh, up and they say, okay, okay, go, go. And I saw two more rangers down and they also stopped me. And I was so scared that I did something wrong. And I always show my bucket and I said, everything is here. I promise I didn't go anywhere. When we reach uh, base camp, and Talkitna, small town, I saw police waiting for me. I was the only one in a small plane arriving to that small town. And I, I thought it's deportation. I said, okay, I will not see Denver. I'm not, what I planned, like see New York after that expedition. Okay, Nina, you're going back to Serbia. No, you don't go anywhere else. And then police put me in a smaller room and there was a, like a major with many medals and I don't know. And they said, we want to give you medal something, pin. And I said, is this a prank? Because I'm so hungry. I smell so bad. I don't have a time for this. I was in my mind was just huge burger with Coke. That's what was in my mind. And they said, no, 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 this is not prank. This is not a hidden camera or something. No, I said, for what? And he, they said, you saved the life. And I was like, hey, everyone supposed to do that. Like why you are making big deal of this? And they said, hey girl, this is America. 
So I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, so later uh, what I learned, that guy, when he back, he tell everyone how I helped him. And he was a, a football player. And after one month, he even sent me an invitation for his wedding. And he, like, still he sent me Christmas card and we are still in contact. Yeah, so that's that story. It's an inc incredible story. It's such a human connection and uh, bravery. And I guess you, know, you being really unselfish in that situation where you could have easily you know, taken your own interests first and then left someone else behind. But I guess that really sort of encompasses who Nina Arjunin is. Uh, the caring, loving person who's very driven. I think, you know, the fact that you started your life in that way with your mother, it's really shown throughout your life and that goes a long way. So really, really inspirational stuff. But all this travel and all this uh, climbing that you've done, you've learned a lot about the environment. I guess you have to. You, you learn about the dangers, but you also learn about the beauty of the environment. But you've also learned what climate change is really doing to some of these most uh, incredible places around the planet. And I know that you undertook an expedition to Colombia and uh, Santa Isabel, which is an ice-covered volcano. Uh, most people will never probably under, under, understand that there are, <laughs> you know, tropic, tropical areas that have these incredible peaks, uh, but they're being endangered by climate change. So let's talk a little bit about climate change and what you've actually seen uh, firsthand um, on these peaks. How is the environment changing? So on, uh, I will back a little bit for an uh, Arctic expedition uh, and my friend Heidi Sylvester, Dr. Heidi Sylvester, glaciologist. So we were sitting around fire one night and she asked me, Nina, do you want to go with me to do documentary movie on, uh, on uh, tropical glaciers? And I, I'm like in a mountaineering for 20, 15 years. And I said, what, glaciers in the tropic? Are you kidding me? I, what's, it's a joke. And she said, no, 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 no. There are glaciers high up in the mountain and they are more, the most impacted glaciers in the world because they are close to uh, equator and equatorial line. And it's, they're melting so fast and they have huge impact and society is not aware how glaciers in that area are important because Two billion people actually depends on the water from uh, these mountains. And I said, what, what, what do you mean? Like high mountain glaciers there, tropical? And she said, yes, they are melting so fast and we need to do something. We need to do for society. We need to do for local people because all coffee fields under the mountain in that area depends on that water because coffee need high altitude and need water. So what will happen with even with the coffee? And even when you think about spirituality, many people from that area, locals, they believe in that snow, they believe uh, in that area. So what will happen? And I said, yes, let's do it. What we can do, let's tell the world about these glaciers. So last year we went to Colombia to Santa Isabel Glacier. And in this moment when you and me are talking that glaciers doesn't exist anymore. So uh, we try to record, we put uh, time-lapse camera in that area to monitor glaciers. Uh, and also I did uh, a, a VR of a glacier because in the future, so people can have the best feeling of being there and to see how that glaciers actually looked like. For example, can you imagine how much we would appreciate to, to have a VR with a real dinosaurs, for example? Yeah, that will be amazing. So yeah, that is sad, sad story of that, but still there is a time, like I said, I always have a hope uh, and people will learn about the importance of these areas and how much they mean for the world. So our next expedition is in uh, Uganda, Ruwenzori mountain. And that mountain is actually main source for a uh, river Nile. Actually, not, not many people know about that, but if that glacier is gone, uh, Nile will also what are your planned initiatives in, the, in your fight against global climate change and what can we do to support your work? 
Our goal is to give a voice to these environments. That is our plan, our mission, and our goal. So we want to bring uh, this environment to people and uh, actually to students around the globe to, because education is the key. Like if you don't know and you don't learn how you can know what to do, like if someone telling you, oh, climate change and like where, what, how, it's a just, it's a just two words, but what that actually means, you need to see, you need to have experience with it. Then you will start to think and ask yourself. So education is the key. So that is uh, our primarily goal of what we are doing to educate people around the globe to show even me like i'm in a mountain i love nature i never heard about uh, tropical glaciers so that is what we are planning to do uh, to go in these areas to make uh, vr experience to make vr uh, uh, like a games where students can make uh, uh, meteorological station or there so they can see how that is actually important and how they are important in uh, this world to help environment so and also we are doing uh, repetitive photography so we have a photography from uh, the night I think 120 years old uh, of that area so we have uh, locations and we will go on the same spot like that time and take a uh, photo so take pictures so that is also our second goal what we are planning for the next expedition but the primary is to educate people and to make small videos and also to share with the world because people need to see prior to act and to learn and, and this is where we touch on your topic of your PhD, because your PhD is essentially, I guess, if you could ever craft your own PhD topic, you've certainly done that. I think your passion uh, and love for technology, but also, you know, exploring and connecting people and making sure that people are aware of what's going on around the world. So you've taken this concept of distance learning and you're exploring the use of technology um, to help people better understand what's going on in these extreme environments. So tell us a little bit about your PhD work, what you aim to explore, and I guess what you concluded at the end of your work. And by the way, congratulations for you know submitting and accepting your thesis in in rec I wouldn't say record time, but it's very very fast. I know I've gone through a PhD myself, and I envy you for doing it so quickly. Oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. So I learned that in this time we have technology all around us, even now, like uh, idea she's in Bosnia, me in the US, you in Australia. So it wouldn't be possible without uh, the use of technology. So can you imagine yourself now to be on a glaciers in uh, Australia? Sounds awesome, right? So like let's use technology and whatever we have uh, even now like how much time we spend on the phone so and learn about the world so that is my goal and i think distance learning in this moment moment especially in a time of covid19 is is the most important especially for our students i cannot imagine uh what what could happen uh, in the case we don't have a distance learning and we don't have a, a Zoom or online anything, I, I cannot really imagine. And I'm sometimes I ask myself how some countries they don't have technology like we have, how they do. So I think there are many gaps and um, many more studies that need to be done on a distance learning because this is just beginning. So my dissertation was looking, does, do students intend to use technology? Because we give students to learn, but let's see other side, do they intend? And yes, my finding definitely say, students think that uh, VR is very useful in education 
for learning about climate change and yeah they they love technology and yeah it's it's really interesting to see other side not just from a instructor side but to learn what actually even when i see my students they they know so good technology even like i was like i thought i'm an expert in technology but no way like when now when you ask someone 20 years pff, crashing it so technology is certainly making a huge impact in education and uh, the price i guess the price point of technology is coming down to where it's becoming very affordable and there are still many parts of the world which don't have access to technology and of course one of the goals of bosnia Herzegovina futures foundation is access to technology in you know, a development of quality leadership skills and providing you know equal and quality education to all people in bosnia and herzegovina and beyond and of course in in march covid-19 really disrupted classical education in the country and the entire region of course the entire world but uh, many parts of bosnia and herzegovina were really struck by this because there is poor internet connection so being able to you know educate yourself from from home was a challenge teachers were unprepared ministries were all over the place similar stories in croatia and serbia and the entire former yugoslavia so in march we launched an initiative we started educating high school and elementary school teachers on how to use technologies digital pedagogy we had hundreds and hundreds of teachers uh, asking us for support and that was one of the greatest challenges that we embarked on never realizing how much you know how much work would be involved and uh, fast forward a few months later we put together an initiative called leaders of online education which is essentially an udemy style course uh, taught in the local language of the former yugoslavia and of course this was very very popular we've now had over 10,000 teachers from the former yugoslavia attend this course to get a hang of uh, teaching and i'm not saying this to boast in terms of figures but i think what you're doing with exploring vr technologies in trying to help people better understand these extreme environments Uh, can go a long way in the former yugoslavia as well we we also have these similar challenges with extreme environments and climate change and so on and i just wonder have you thought about doing what you've done with your research in in our particular region and helping people again reconnect with nature and better understand it because we have so many young people that simply have never ventured out of their towns uh, regardless of where those towns are regional or metropolitan but i find myself many times in positions where someone who's grown up in australia who spends a lot of time by the way in the former yugoslavia and bosnia in particular i find myself exploring more than the locals explore and i think we're losing that connection between the environments and the people so have you thought about how you could potentially utilize what you've done for your phd and the technology to help people reconnect with those environments and capture something that may not exist in the near future Yes, definitely. That that is my my goal and even in Bosnia. So I I thought that I will uh come to Bosnia like last summer and I was talking with uh, my friend who is uh, working with the sharks actually to do something we are and to do something in uh, maybe Peručac. So the, we thought about that like because that is the oldest forest in Europe actually. So that was one of idea to do that but because of covid we stopped but definitely that's my goal because that unique nature oh my god I I travel all around the world but that forest is like people need to see that and we need to think about how we can protect that area especially like someone who make laws and who want to protect need to see what need to be protected so that is why we need to give a voice for sure you know here's the deal definitely the two of us have so much in common when it comes to that and i think i haven't disclosed yet where i am i'm in fortitsein mostar and uh, <laughs> i think it would be a great idea actually to implement all of what you're saying and you also now as i have seen you've turned also a little bit to running we can combine all of that and you know pursue all of your ideas right here in our region and contribute to climate change fight and everything else and to overall well-being with all of the experience that you have and your positive attitude that's that's my suggestion with beha futures foundation and all of our networks yeah thank you so much yeah we 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 need to do that it's not maybe we need <laughs> Last thing we really enjoyed this conversation you know so much to talk about 
Um, I guess the last bit that I really wanted to touch on is, of course, a little bit of advice. We have a lot of, uh, I guess, young people in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Uh, we have many, many challenges in the country. And I think some of us who have gone on to see other parts of the world, who have learned from the best and the best in the world, experienced life, experienced the ups and downs of life. I think we sometimes have a much better perspective on you know, the global challenges and the fact that the problems that are internal to Bosnia are so small in comparison to some of the great challenges that the world is facing. What advice would you give to young people, what they can do to overcome some of the challenges that they have in front of them at the moment to become better people, uh, to be more adventurous, I guess, to, to take all the challenges that are ahead of them and to show the world that they're capable? So never give up. That is like, and believe in yourself. And for sure, I know I'm coming from that area and uh, from a poor family with out of parents. And I can say all my dreams came true, honestly, like, but because whenever people said you cannot do it, yes, I can, because you need to have, and whatever you do, have a passion. So that is the key. I think all my passion, uh on the end like get true for example my dissertation i finished in two years and i have dyslexia like i am not sure i can put two sentences good on english like with some mistake so i always go to writing center to help me but you can do it like definitely don't let other people to tell you you cannot believe in yourself for sure well so inspirational i think your life story your career um, truly inspired me. I, I'm inspired by a lot of people that have left Bosnia to go into the world and do incredible things. And you're definitely one of the ones that has really touched me. Your life story has been really, really impressive and what you've been able to achieve. And I'm sure Aida thinks exactly the same as I do here. And yet you're so humble and such a driven human being. Uh, I think that's going to be inspiring for many of the young listeners uh, on, our, on our show here. Your fighting spirit and determination should be something that all young people can really aspire to and look up to. And I guess you could be a great mentor to other, other young people who, who are striving for excellence in their life and never giving up. And that goes to say, not only in the former Yugoslavia, but also around the world. So uh, truly honored to have you on our, on our show. Really, really inspiring. And thank you so much for being here with us. And I'll hand it over for the last words to my co-host, Aida. Yes, and definitely one thing that you've learned is that retreat is not always actually a loss. Sometimes it's just the next step to the next win. So definitely you've shown it through all of your examples and we want to thank you. And I just want to say how inspired I am not to give up for anything. And I hope that all of our young people think the same. And I'm sure you're going to inspire many, many, many young people who are going to listen to this podcast. And yeah, we hope to implement all of the things that we've just suggested here in our podcast. This was Aida Hadic, and on my other side is Eddie Chustovic. We've talked today with Nina Ajanin. Thank you, guys. You, you are doing an amazing job. Thank you.